0: Welcome to a new episode of Good Morning Camera. It's been a couple of days. We were supposed to do this last week, and I'm, I'm sorry, Anthony. I, I had technical issues. And you know what? We don't rush a good product. We take the weekend... We let them marinate, and we come back stronger than ever, because we got a lot of spicy stuff to talk about this week, starting with Canon. Canon has a couple of things on the docket for us today, so let's talk about the first thing, which was a new camera. And we didn't talk about it last time, because there was a lot of new cameras coming around that time. But around mid-May, Canon announced a PowerShot V10 which is a very unique looking camera. And I'm going to ask you about this camera, but let me sort of give people a visual picture if they haven't seen this thing. It essentially looks like this credit card shaped, maybe that, maybe a wallet shaped camera, right? Where it is long, it is meant to be held in your hand. Think of it like two GoPros stacked on top of each other. It has a built-in kickstand as well. And it's supposed to be this easy to use, friendly vlog style camera that can fit in your pocket comfortably, that you can take it out, use it, flip the screen all the way around to see yourself and kind of, you know, just capture your everyday life. So tell us what can the camera actually do?
1: Yeah, it was, I'm I'm glad you use the wallet size kind of analogy there. I, I was going for either like a ring doorbell look or like a or a, a wallet full of cash kind of kind of look there. So yeah, yeah. It, it is such an interesting looking camera. It has a fixed 19 millimeter lens, f 2.0 lens, uh, 2.8 lens uh, on the front of the the camera there. This camera comes in at 5.99 Canadian. We have it on our website right now, so you can check it out and see how this camera actually looks. Uh, And like I said, it's super interesting. It has one red record button on the front of the camera and like, that's it. You see the lens, the record button, you hit the record button and you get going. And that's the idea of this camera. So this is a 4K point and shoot vlog style camera and that's kind of where they're marketing at it actually has three stops of nd uh, built into the body and a one inch sensor so the performance is actually very similar to the popular like g series cameras uh, from canon but it's just like a completely different looking body so i was kind of shocked when i saw this design and uh yeah like the one inch sensor kind of market uh it is alive and well and this camera just kind of re formats the what those cameras can kind of look like i don't know if i missed anything other than like it's very similar to to like the g series kind of cameras from yeah you know i you know i should have just said this uh anthony this this is shaped like a camera the only
0: difference is that instead (laughs) of holding it you know a point you imagine a point-and-shoot camera instead of holding it sideways you're holding it vertically. So I exactly. think that's probably the best description of, uh, instead of us trying to find uh, everyday objects here. But I'm looking <laughs> at this thing. You get face tracking, right? You get live streaming through the Camera Connect app that, uh, that Canon offers. Uh, yeah. You can automatically upload you know, to image.canon if you want to use their service there. There is image stabilization, like you said. Uh, they yeah. prioritize good microphones and, and really just capturing good audio. How it compares to something like a GoPro, that's what I'm curious to see. But let me ask you something, you know, this space is already pretty crowded, right? You got GoPro, you have other action cams from DJI as well. You have Sony, you know, making some aggressive offers in this size and style of cameras. So when you look at something like this, Anthony, do you think there's room for a Canon vlog style camera? Or do you think that this might come a little short for most people?
1: Yeah, I'm kind of torn about this because like... Yeah, on one hand, like, there's people like myself who just, like, I, I, I never use my phone for anything like this. And I think the phone is the direct competitor to these types of cameras. And it's tough because uh, Apple, I mean, they, they're they doing some fantastic stuff with, like, dynamic range. And, uh, like, they, they kind of fool the user into thinking there is more dynamic range by exposing for the background and exposing for the subject and then blending those two kind of images or video clips together so that's where it's kind of tough because when you look at the performance of this type of camera it is better in low light so like that's uh, that's the the one-inch sensor kind of doing its job and i don't know i I think people are going to be interested in this camera because It's such an interesting looking camera. It's very, very small. And you do get better low-light performance. And I think that's where phones and GoPros and things like that, that's where they struggle the most. Whereas, like, you see the examples that Canon put out. They're actually, like, they're pretty nice in in Mm. low-light performance. So, if... but I still think like you still kind of have to be an experienced shooter to really get the most out of this because sometimes like you see those big creators uh, like I'm, t- I'm thinking like you know Peter McKinnons and like and and the high-end vloggers like uh, Casey Neistat and stuff like that they know what they're doing so they can get the most out of this camera but they want the small option and that's where I think this this camera kind of falls perfectly into place but like I said it is tough when Apple is doing some crazy stuff. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to see who's going to get most excited for something like this. And I think th- it's, it's a cross-section between the sort of content creator that wants a little bit of a dedicated tool but doesn't live in the sort of traditional photography space. You know, maybe they're doing food. Maybe they're doing travel. Yeah. Maybe they're doing lifestyle. Maybe they're doing beauty. And they just want this small, simple solution that they can take around with them. And maybe they're doing, you know, using this as a live streaming camera as well, because you can do that with something like this. And then there's another subsection where it might gear toward an older crowd that just want a simple video solution. You know, they know their way around cameras, but they want to capture a little bit more video of their day to day life. And the GoPro isn't as, uh, I guess you could say, like, comfortable to use, you know, there's no kickstand with that. It's not as easy and elegant. You don't get some of the, the niceties that Canon brings to the table, right? So I think there's like there's Venn diagram there that kind of isolates the ideal audience for something like this. It's an interesting camera. I I, I guess I want to see what people do with it first, you know, just because of its shape, its design and and how crowded the space is. It's something that doesn't immediately strike me as, you know, this is the hottest thing that people should consider. Um, it doesn't do enough where, you know, even pro users feel like they can make a space for something like this. Like if I have my GoPro, which I do, I'm not looking at this thing like, oh, I got to replace my GoPro. You know what I mean? There there isn't something that, that screams that this all of a sudden replaces some of these action cams. I've been doing it so well for so long, but we'll see, we'll see what it does. And, and you know what? I, I'll be honest, Anthony. I don't want to talk too much about this because there's something else I want to talk
1: about, right? There's something else I want to talk about. Fair enough, fair enough. There is also some other juicy rumors uh, in that Canon ecosystem, the EOS R1. They're saying this is the flagship of flagships. So Gadget, why don't you tell us, like, what is the update here? Is this the flagship of flagships? I don't know. That that Nikon, The oh my goodness, man. So, but tell us first, what 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 is this? What is this one all about? Hey,
0: you you know I love a good rumor, okay? And and so long <laughs> as we don't have any NDA signed, we're just gonna look at what gets leaked out and talk about it openly. And the mm-hmm. EOS R1, we've been talking about what feels like a year now, right? There's just been things trickling yeah. out more and more. And it just kind of, it's almost like Dr. Dre's Detox album where it's just been talked about way (laughs) longer than, you know, who knows when this thing's actually going to come out. But here, okay, so far we have, from what they're saying, what these rumors are saying, again, rumors. We're supposed Mm. to be seeing a larger OLED display on the back panel where we can go from something that might be a 3.2 inch traditionally to a 4 inch screen. The resolution is supposed to be around 45 megapixels and people are saying that this is what Canon feels like is the sweet spot. There's other people that have claimed that this thing can be like 80 to 100. But again, conflicting reports, right? The EVF, they're designing it to be allegedly, the highest resolution EVF when it comes out. No people, no one's saying there's going to be a global shutter. They think that's kind of out the window, but there will be a priority on sort of having this thing with minimal rolling shutter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other smaller things where it's like, you know, dual CF Express card slots, uh, traditional EOS 1D style body, you know, something that's made for uh, people that are going to be using it in sports, in the Olympics, in really high-pressure situations. A top-down color display instead of a monochrome display. A brand new autofocus system, essentially signaling their latest and greatest autofocus that they can pack into their mirrorless lineup. Um, that, that's that's kind of what they're pointing toward. And 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 the last thing that they wanted, well the rumor sites are saying, is that it might be sort of a trickling announcement similar to the EOS R5, where you have this pre-announcement of like, here's the camera, here's sort of the key features, and in a few months, you're going to be able to, you know, play with it and test it out. And then there'll be an official embargo date and then a release date. So that's what they're saying so far. Now, hearing all of this, where do you stand right now? (laughs) I'll, I'll talk about my feelings in a moment, but where do you stand right now?
1: Yeah, obviously, you know this is going to be taking direct shots at the Nikon Z9, and I was super impressed with that camera. I, but I do, I do bet that this would likely outperform a Z9. But the Z9 was actually a crazy camera. Like that camera is a monster. Uh, uh, but this is where this is what it's going to come down to, Gadget. And it's going to be probably price because. I think they have to stay super competitive with the price because Nikon is just they're they're giving you a lot of value especially with the Z8. The Z8 was uh, it came out at 5399 Canadian. Uh, the R3 like that was like that was probably a bit too expensive. <laughs> now say Canon go first and then they try and undercut that competition. I, like I said, I think they have to really stay competitive with the price, and I think Nikon is giving Canon a really good run for their money right now, releasing two pretty huge cameras, Z9, Z8, right now at very competitive price points. Like I said, that Z8, $5,399. The Z9 is 7000 I don't know if they're going to be able to compete with that price point. Uh, and I don't know if it's going to be super necessary for a lot of people who are looking at those Z9, Z8 kind of specs and going like, oh my gosh, like I can get a lot. Uh, And I don't know if this is going to be super necessary uh, to jump over to say something like the EOS R1. But at the same time, I totally don't think that people are, people who are shooting Canon aren't like thinking about going to the Z9 uh, because, you know, it's 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 cheap they're already in the ecosystem of canon or nikon you know but i look at all the camera companies and i think who is giving you the biggest bang for buck and i'm willing to drop just about anybody uh if if, like like i said i just went over to panasonic and because they're giving extreme amounts of value so uh, i don't know it's going to be tough but i think it's going to come down to that price point i wholeheartedly (laughs) and respectfully disagree sir
0: Here's the thing. When you're in this tier, most people are not flinching at Mm. the price. When you're north, Mm. when you're north, Anthony, when you're north of (laughs) $5,000, at that point, you know, it's not even about price. What is it? It's all about how much is this going to improve and change the work? And then you figure out how do you pay for it? That's what people are talking about. Right. You know, when people look at something like a red Komodo, when they look at something like, you know, a Canon, even like a Canon full frame cinema camera, when they're looking at a Z9, you look at it and you say, can this fundamentally change and improve the work that I'm doing? Because most of the people that are getting this, most of the people are subsidizing their lifetime, Mm. uh, subsidizing their lifestyle through their work. Right. They're capturing content that they're turning in for clients and then deriving an income from. So it is a business expense, it's something that they can amortize over a set amount of time, they can finance it, so it's not a big hit all at once. The people that sort of flinch at the price or like go online and argue about the price are often the people that are buying things or looking at things as like hobbyists and enthusiasts, it's not a lifestyle for them, and so they're more critical and more sensitive to these kinds of things. Most of the companies that are manufacturing in this price point, they don't care for that, it's nice to have that, but they're looking at the pro. They want the best photographers, the best videographers, the best creators out there using these tools. I don't think the price is going to be an issue. They can come out with this thing; it could be nine thousand dollars, and they're and they're still going to be backordered. Here's here's where I think the opportunity lies. I don't think the Z nine made a huge dent for people. I think a lot of Nikon users got excited. I think there's a handful. Of maybe sony and canon users that were kind of aging and they kind of switched over and got their hands on one but i think that the struggles that nikon has had to fulfill orders to provide enough of these into the market still creates a gap and canon traditionally has never been you know first to market with a lot of these things they 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 like to wait a little bit and refine it and build solutions Mm -hmm. that are intuitive easy to use and most importantly reliable right so when i look at this r1 And I think of, you know, the Paris Olympics that are coming up, right? When I think of the World Cup coming up, all these kinds of things. Like this is right in line with Canon's timing of things. They're not often rushed by the sort of (laughs) uh, perceived urgency by the YouTube community. They're looking at the real market. They're looking at the places that they want to be at. And I think that's around the time where they're like, cool, let's have our best tools available for that. And I'm looking at the list that's being rumored. And I think it's gonna be more of an evolution than a revolution, right? Where the Z9 felt like a revolution for what Nikon is known for. I think with respect to Canon, you're just gonna see a lot of great features into a reliable solution that works incredibly well, kind of like the EOS R3, you know? I, I think what we can expect is an EOS R3. You know, I, I wonder if people don't talk enough about that camera just because of how reliable yeah. and good it is. It's like, yeah, it's great. There's nothing else to say, right? And I think this might be one of those things where you're going to get something like an EOS R3 with higher resolution, with better autofocus, and a few more bells and whistles that make the experience better, such as a higher, uh, a richer EVF display, a larger display, a a top display that's in color. Like, those are the things that are just going to make the overall experience better. Yeah. And I think it might be close to a home run. Do I think it's going to have raw recording internal? I don't think so. Do I think it's going to have like the crazy 8K recording that, you know, uh, that really supersedes the R5? Yeah. Maybe a little bit, yeah. but I don't think not by much. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm optimistic, There's... you know, I'm optimistic. I think that's what I would say about this. What do you, what do you, do you have a response to that, sir? That was a lot of talking.
1: <laughs> i mean it's a super valid point i totally get what you're saying but i also see it from like a undervalued exp- uh, kind of way train of thought i guess you could say like i always look to who is just giving you the biggest bang for buck uh, in terms of your dollars right now and that's what's great about this camera market there's just no shortage of just fantastic cameras but you know, Gadget, we got to move on because there's also some other juicy news. And like, Ooh. I mean, if you've been living under a rock, you probably heard about. You probably haven't heard about this, but for the majority of people out there, my goodness, Apple, like I said, is just doing some crazy stuff with that announcement of the Vision Pro. Now, I was thinking, I'm looking at this thing and I'm going, "Minority Report is here. The Matrix begins now." <laughs> but Gadget, can you? Pretty- can you tell us a little bit about the Apple Vision Pro and uh, what, what's happening right now with uh, with this?
0: Yeah, so this has been rumored for a long, long time that Apple was going to enter uh, the VR space and pro- mm, yeah. uh, and a little bit of the AR space, right? Where they were going to mix in a lot of the technologies that they've used in their mobile devices, in their you know health devices, in their audio devices, bring them all together into this what they call spatial computing device, right? These pair of goggles that you throw on, it looks like these Oakley snowboarding style goggles when they're on your face and that you innovate, in interface with a new operating system, their spatial OS operating system that looks a lot like iOS, but in the real world. This goggle that you throw on has a ton of cameras and sensors on it. It has the highest resolution, highest quality, display for your pupils. And what this does, it feeds you your world in real time while overlaying the applications that you can use, such as a web browser, a media viewer, a photo viewer, you know, other kinds of apps that are yet to be announced as well. You know, there's some meditation exercise, all these things, they sort of sit in front of you in this real world space, right? Mm -hmm. This is impressive technology, this has also become the butt of a joke for a lot of people just because of how expensive it is and it's available next year. And There's still a few details we don't know about it. You're semi-tethered in the sense that there's a battery pack that connects to the back and then sits in your pocket you know, mm-hmm. with this device. And another cool thing is that when someone else walks into the room, you can see someone walking into the room with these goggles on and they can see your eyes because they actually capture your face and turn it into this sort of uh, high resolution avatar that it displays for other people so that they can see your eyes when you're talking to them without having to take the goggles off. So there's a lot of these cool things that they're building in. This I believe is another one of these public research and development projects for Apple. What I mean by that is I don't think that this is what Apple wants to have on the market. I think it's what it has to have on the market. I think the future for Apple is, you know, a set of glasses like you're wearing right now, Anthony, that are super thin, super light, pretty Mm -hmm. much transparent. And then you can toggle these displays that pop up in the real world. And Apple, over the course of five to ten years, have figured out battery and speed and operating system. They figured all of that out. I think this is the first step toward that. I think it's one of these things where you have to actually release a product to learn, to understand, to see how people are going to use it. I think they tout this as sort of a media consumption device where you're going to buy it and you don't need a huge TV anymore. You don't need an OLED TV. You don't need a sound system. We're going to take care of all of that for you. And that's nice. That's cool. But that's not the majority of people. You know, most people like to watch things communally, right, with one or two or three or family or in a theater, right? So – this is something that's designed for the super, super early adopters to really figure out and directly and, you know, more so indirectly tell Apple, how would we use an AR, VR device? How yeah. would we engage with something like this? Yeah.
1: And, and speaking like we have like a Canon-filled episode today... <laughs> canon was way ahead of this whole vr kind of thing with like the 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 dual lens like thing like yeah, how is that going five, to play the
0: five millimeter fisheye yeah, Ex- yeah exactly
1: yeah that's that's why I, immediately i was like how how like how like canon has already released a lens and like they got these like High-resolution cameras, like how are how are these two companies going to interplay, and and kind of create content for uh, a, a platform like the Vision Pro? When I immediately when I saw the uh, the how people were actually going to view movies, I thought that was super cool. Where like the whole like area that you're watching a movie now becomes this like crazy immersive experience where you know you get the the darkening effect and then like things that are happening in the movie are like showing around you as well like that looks so cool so the question that I was thinking about gadget you know where do you see a future uh, of, of this kind of thing kind of going how do you think like creating content is going to change to adapt to something like this new piece of tech uh, do we even have the tools right now uh, for for something like this
0: You know, I I get excited about how people can sort of consume media in a new way with something like this. And, you know, I'm happy Apple's in the space because that just means the space is going to grow a lot faster than it would without them in the space. And I think we're going to see a lot of cool innovations and standardizations come into play that will make this more accessible for more people. And for me, it's like, okay, how do you design you know, uh, visuals for a space like this, for a three-dimensional space like this? How can I create a a photo gallery for a space like this? So instead of viewing a photograph of mine in two dimensions, essentially, you can experience it in three dimensions, right? And, you know, what does that even mean for creatives as a whole, right? Like when you're actually out in the field and capturing, you have to think about now a Z-axis potentially of what you're creating. I'm Mm. excited for all of that kind of stuff. When it comes to the tech side of things, I'm excited for this to eventually become uh, closer to a thick pair of Ray-Bans. When they can make this like just, you know, maybe a fancy, uh, there's some, you know, really boutique glasses that are super thick that are like these acetate that are like supposed to be fashion friendly, fashion for whatever you want to call it. If they can get to that level, right, where it doesn't (laughs) look like these crazy space support minority port, whatever it is, kind of goggles on your head, that's where I'm like, now I'm seriously considering jumping into this space,
1: right? Yeah, because absolutely.
0: Because here's the thing about glasses. Like, you, you look like a doofus with a VR thing like this. Okay, I'm just going to be <laughs> honest. You look like a doofus. You're not walking into the office, putting these on and getting to work. It's yeah. just not acceptable. And, and it's yeah. a social thing. But I totally that's where it. I'm going to plant my flag. I think most people are going to look at this and like, all right, dummy, can you come back to the real world now and just like <laughs> use your laptop? like do you have to do this in, in public? So I think the cool place is when it act, when it can actually be just glasses that you throw on when it doesn't feel that you're so dis- disconnected from from other humans, that's yeah. where I really get excited right And look I, and I'm, I look Apple might prove me wrong they've proven so many people wrong. But I just I'm going to put my money with with humans, you know, just humans and and
1: social norms. You know, technology is getting exponential, too. So like this is like the first iteration, like in five years, this will look totally, totally different. So people like chirping Apple right now about the price. Yeah, I totally get it. It is freaking expensive. And what was it like thirty six hundred dollars US or something like that? Thirty five
0: hundred US, yeah. Thirty
1: five, yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a freaking expensive uh, uh, product, but at the same time, like for version one, like in five yeah. years, this will look totally different, I'm sure. So, guys, we got to wrap this up here because I got a yes. juicy, juicy creator draft pick, and uh, this is give the it to us.
0: You you lead us off, sir. Lead, okay. Lead well, us this off.
1: could this could honestly be another section of our show. Uh, this thing is just insane. So I was looking to kind of improve my lighting. A little bit. I have a 120D. I have a Aperture LS one half and then I have three Aperture MCs. So I'm in the Aperture ecosystem. I'm looking at the Aperture range of products, and I was kind of comparing Nova P300C versus the 300X, and then also the 300D Mark II. I'm, I, well, I wanted something with a little bit more power, and I also was thinking, do I? Could I get something that's RGB? And this is actually a really interesting little comparison. So if you set all of these lights to 5,500 Kelvin, you are getting 9,340 lux out of the Nova P300C. That is a lot of power. And when you compare that to the 300X, X stands for bi-color. So you're still getting RGB capabilities out of that. At one meter, you're getting 6,970 lux. That's still, that's a lot of power as well. But this is where it starts to get interesting. The 300D for daylight, Mark II, you get 1,190 lux. So there is a, a drastic difference between uh, the the 300D and the Nova P300C, Um a little bit more a little bit less of a difference when you get like the power outage from the 300x and the the nova so i'm looking at this and i was trying to light my whole studio in a way where i could face uh face my camera towards a window nd my lens down and then expose for like the whole room trying to light my room with a light so i ended up picking up the nova p300c because we have this down in our Church Street location, and once I, I got our, my hands on it in the Church Street location and was playing around with it, uh, the the guys over at Sessions like they were playing around with uh, this this light with me, showing me like the app and stuff like that, like controlling the the app through the uh, th- uh, controlling the light through the Citus Link app. I was 100 sold this thing is freaking expensive like talking about expensive products here gadget this is an investment for sure it's 26.99 canadian um but you get fully full rgb control all the color temperature control you can even adjust the light green and purple like you can get like that much control out of this kind of light so really you could get this light to match any kind of source which is super impressive I'm thinking, like, who is the competition uh, for this light? And the only one that I could really find is an airy panel, and that is legit double the price. So uh, I think I'm going to look back on this purchase of the Nova P300C and go, like, man, this was, this was a good investment. Because I think about my one, uh, 120D, that thing, like, it's held up over the last, like, six years. Um, and that was a great investment as well. So this is just adding on to the range of tools that i could use to you know get the lighting that i really want and make some creative stuff on the Citus link app too so people should investigate something uh similar that you could uh that you could kind of get that control out of so pretty cool pick i I didn't think there would be a day where i'm coming in well
0: under the price point of something you're (laughs) suggesting. Well, well under something you're suggesting. Uh, That's a great pick, a solid pick, and something that's probably going to last probably a a lifetime for most people if you treat them right. My pick is something that won't last a lifetime just because of how technology is made, but (laughs) when it lasts... Oh, it's gonna be great. So I was in search of um, some SSDs because I, I do a lot of production work, and you know I go through hard drives. Just we create so much video files, and we're always transferring and editing. So I have this sort of solution where I'm like, I'm using hard drives for long term storage. I'm using SSDs for short term storage, and then I'll mm-hmm. use SSDs for. Production, where like there's some SSDs that are just like a redundant backup that I can quickly move between. And then I have SSDs dedicated to work off of, where I'm putting videos and photos here and I'm editing live off of them. And there would mm-hmm. always be this bottleneck, right? Where like I would buy these SanDisk ones and all of a sudden they have this error where like they're, you know, their read writes around 2000 megabytes a second. Um, they go a little bit low that, lower than that but then there would be these errors that were going around where people were losing their information. So I had to go find another solution. So I'm like, all right, let me go for reliability. Well, with the Samsung T7s. Great little device, works incredibly well. They have a rugged version, a lot slower. You're looking at about a thousand megabytes, you know, half the speed. So now when you're editing, it isn't an issue for most people, but if you're using red footage or Canon cinema footage, you'll have these bottlenecks in your timeline. They're like, oh, you can see it's stuttering. It's struggling to keep up. So I'm like, Can I just find something that's crazy fast, crazy reliable? And it was a bit of a gamble, but there was this new company, newish company, I should say, Tropicolor. They make a bunch of lights, uh, presets, LUTs, uh, production tools, but they never made anything physical until now. They made what they call the space shuttle, which is a two terabyte Mm. SSD with Thunderbolt 3 connection. And because of that connection and because of the build and the space included, you're getting something that will give you what I'm experiencing, 2,600 to 2,700 megabytes per second read and write speeds. And on top of that, because of the buffer they've built in, the transfer speeds, they sustain that. They, they, They are incredibly fast and don't just like dip off over time. It's something that is a hefty investment right you're looking at about 400 us for one of these things but here's the thing if you are editing every single day if you are working with content on the regular those seconds those minutes add up and you scale that i now have a drive that i don't wait for that's not the bottleneck anymore never I, i've been using this like crazy over the last few weeks and it just flies through footage so We'll see how it lasts over time because it does get a bit warm to use. Um, let's see what it looks like in three to four months. I think Anthony, you'll be the first to hear it on the show if <laughs> there's something does go wrong. But I took a gamble. I decided to be an early adopter to see how it performs, and so far it has performed
1: exceptionally. Four hundred dollars for a, a terabyte? Is that what it was? Two terabytes, two terabytes. Two terabytes. Okay, so that's not that's not terrible. That's a lot of good, that's a lot of storage.
0: A decent amount, for sure.
1: Yeah. So so interesting pick, man. I love and I love the look of this uh this pick too. So if people are looking the stuff up, then uh I mean interesting looking SSD drive for sure. So check
0: it out. Check it out. Very cool, man. Well that's that's our episode, man. I mean, a ton of rumors, ton of great, juicy stuff. Listen, if you are listening to this show and you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Subscribe to the show. Tell your camera friends about the show and, and be sure to let us know what you think of the show. So leave a review on iTunes or reach out to us on Instagram and let us know what you think. As always, as always, his name's Anthony. My name's Gadget. And we'll see you again next time. See ya.